1 Samuel chapter 15, 22 to 23. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of divination and presumption as, is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. This morning, as we continue in our series, we're going to be about two more weeks. Uh, so this week and next week, we're going to wrap up what to do when you don't know what to do series. And this morning um, is going to be a kind of a two-parter. We're going to hit the beginning of character this week. And then next week, we're going to finish on some practical things. So this morning is kind of an intro to this idea of character. And then next week, we're going to look at how do we actually do that? How do we actually build healthy character? And so hopefully, like I said, this will build off of each other. And, and here's the thing, when you don't know what to do, we've talked about some different things, but for the next two weeks, your character is really going to determine a lot. And when you don't know what to do, uh, you maybe have heard the phrase before, we're going to talk about it today, do the right thing. So you may have heard it way back. It says uh, Theodore Roosevelt said this, in any moment of decision, the best thing you can do is the right thing. The next best thing is the wrong thing. And the worst thing you can do is nothing, which I somewhat agree with that, somewhat don't. You'll see that in just a second. Um, But also in 1897, a book was written and then published by Minnie Paul, who was a wife of a minister at the time. And so way, way back in 1897, she says these words. Many a questioning, many a fear, many a doubt hath its quieting here. Moment by moment, let down from heaven, time, opportunity, guidance are given. Fear not tomorrow, child of the king. Trust them with Jesus. Do the next thing. And if that isn't enough, I thought, you know what? We probably should go to the big guns and bust out the best theologian of our time. Uh, Anna of Arendelle said this, just do the next right thing. Take a step, step again. It's all that I can to do. Yes, you're you're welcome. The next right thing. Um, So you're welcome. Uh, There's many quotes from all the ages that talk about the thing of when you don't know what to do, probably the best thing to do is the right thing. And that sounds really good, but doing the right thing is actually harder and more complex than than what you might think because doing the next right thing requires something essential. If you're going to do the right thing, you can only do the next right thing if you know what the right thing is. And if you have some kind of a, a sense of what absolute right and absolute wrong is, the next right thing is actually impossible to do without character. Andy Stanley says it like this, character is the will to do what's right even when it's wrong or when it's hard. It's the ability to say, I'm going to do the right thing, even if it costs me something. And I agree with that quote, but I'm going to build off of this because I think for those who have a relationship with Jesus, it goes a little further than that uh, in this idea of character. And let me say it this way. Character is the will to consistently do what is right, even when it's hard. And even more to that, It's what is right only defined by God himself, and that is crucial piece. So my definition for those who are in a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, character would probably look a little bit more like this. Character is the will which is enabled by God to consistently do what's right as commanded by God, even when it's hard. 
So hopefully he doesn't mind building off of his definition, but, but I think for us who are believers, we have to understand that our wills are actually enabled by God, which should give us some hope that it's not just you white knuckling it through the rest of your life, but it's also what's right as commanded by God, not what's right as commanded by ourselves. So maybe to sum all of that up, we could say it this way, obedience builds character. God desires character even over obedience. That's what we read earlier in, in our, in our uh, 1 Samuel 15 passage, which we're going to be today. But in 1 Samuel 15, God comments on this idea. He says, I desire more than just burnt offerings and sacrifices. I desire obedience. And, and obedience is that thing that is building our character. God desires obedience that flows out of a life of character. Now, let me just kind of explain it this way because that's kind of confusing, right? Obedience or character, which one builds each other? And as I was thinking through that and processing through that, I'm like, it's kind of like the chicken and the egg thing, right? Like which came first? It's the same thing with obedience and character. Obedience, doing the right thing builds character, but character is the will to do the right thing. And so it's kind of this weird circle, but ultimately it comes back to, are you actually being obedient to the word of Jesus Christ? Or are we just kind of saying, I live in grace. I don't have to obey. That's what got Saul in a whole lot of trouble And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 15 is where we're going to be this morning. And this passage is um, intense. Uh, It it, it has so, it's like the, the, the diamond scenario, right? Which you've heard a lot. But this thing has so many different facets of it that there's no way we can cover all of 1 Samuel 15. Not only because of the storyline, but because of the topics in it and also because the way it was written. In the original Hebrew, there's whole kinds of issues. Like there's, there's words that are somewhat missing. There's, there's words that are redefined different ways. I mean, this passage is, is, is like commentaries are filled with this passage because the narrator trying to get a point across. And as he does, so he throws a bunch of little nuggets in there. So we're not going to look at all of that. But what I want to do is we want to look at the main point that I feel like the, the narrator is trying to get us to understand here. And that is that Saul is a man in the Old Testament who has no character. He just doesn't know what character even is. Saul, uh, if you don't know King Saul, King Saul was put in place by the Israelites who said, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king. God is too far off. God's invisible. We can't see him. We want our own king. And so eventually God says, okay, yes, you can have your king. And so Saul is, is, is anointed king. And up until this point, he's been anointed king on the record of, here's, here's, what, here's what his platform was. Um, he, he was anointed king because he was uh, the son of a very wealthy dad. He was anointed king because he was handsome, and he was anointed king because he was tall. So that's his job description, right? Uh, which you're like, great. That sounds like many people we follow today. They're just, they, they, they had, the right, they had the, right, the right family, they followed the right path, and they were handsome, and they were tall. It made me think of this guy from Parks and Rec. Have you, have you recognized this guy, Bobby Newport? If uh, you've ever seen Parks and Rec, like this guy is like the epitome of Saul. Uh, he got the job from his dad. He has no idea what he's doing when he's running for office, and all he says is like, my dad got me the job. I don't even know what I'm doing. Here, have a free candy bar. I mean, that's kind of like his platform, and Saul would kind of be the same, where he's kind of like, here, uh, my dad was, you know who my dad was? He had a lot of money. I'm tall. I'm rich. Therefore, I should be king. And then on top of that, we read in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 10 to 18 and um, on that his job description, this was, this was, that was kind of like his qualifications. And then this is what he was supposed to do. So this is God speaking of what King Saul would do. He says, he will take all of you captive and become his military workforce 
He will take your sons and your daughters as well. He will take your houses and a tenth of your income, and he will make you all slaves. You want him? And the Israelites, yes, that's our guy. We want that guy. Like, that guy sounds awesome. If he could just take all of my income and I could give him my house, I can give him my kids, whatever I have is his, that sounds great. He's going to be a tyrant? Awesome. So they said, that's the guy we want. So they got that guy. No character. Uh, We read actually a chapter before this that he almost kills his own son because of a vow he makes that says, hey guys, we're not gonna eat any food after victory. And his son ends up like dabbing a piece of honey on his tongue. And Saul's like, we gotta kill him. We gotta kill him. I said, no. And so it's actually the people of Israel respond against the king and say, uh, let's not kill your son right now. He's like, fine, I won't kill my son. And so that's the kind of character that you see leading up to this guy named Saul. And so that's kind of what's happened of who he is. But let me set the scene then for chapter 15. So up until now, this chapter 15, our main text this morning, Saul is told to conquer an evil nation that has killed many, many Israelites in the time of Moses and beyond. So if you want context to this, you can go to Deuteronomy chapter 25, Exodus 17, Numbers 24. It's a story of a nation that came against the Israelites when Moses and them were wandering through the desert. And it's actually this thing where they were at their lowest. And this nation comes in and just starts taking them out. It was kind of a cheap move. And it was something that kind of rang through the Israelites' history. And they're like, we don't like these guys. They've been continually evil to us. They've taken from us. They have vehemently killed many of our own people. And so you see one of the rare instances in the Old Testament where God tells Saul to take them out, all of them. It's a very graphic command by God in the first three verses of this chapter. It's the type of warfare that's rare in the Old Testament, but it's called harem. And it's this idea that they are to take out every living thing. And as you read this beginning of this chapter, it made me very uncomfortable. It probably makes you very uncomfortable. And we can deal with that in another series. But let me just say that in these hard war stories in the Old Testament— that very difficult piece, it's very, very difficult for us who are people of peace and tolerance, and we don't quite like that God of the Old Testament who took people out like that. But it was for these acts of war that were against these Israelites continually that they did this. And so some commentators will actually try and soften these words by using different Hebrew terminology and defining harem and what it actually meant. Others will celebrate the justice of God in these declarations and being like, God, go go get them. And others will want to ignore them and focus on grace. I think us this morning, we have to recognize the tension that there is a God who is a God of justice. There is a God who is a God of protection and is willing to protect his name, his glory, his reputation first, and then uh, his people as a part of this. But again, that's another sermon because this is not the intent, I believe, of the author in this passage. I believe the intent of 15 is to show repeatedly the lack of character in King Saul. And so let's go there. Doing the right thing is a foreign concept to Saul. Only doing the thing that makes him look good and feel good is Saul's motivation for being king. So first off, uh, he does not take out the nation as God has promised. This was supposed to be like a crowning achievement of Saul. This was supposed to be the thing that was promised for generations and generations and generations is to take these people out. It was actually promised to Moses in Exodus that this nation would get taken out. And Moses wasn't able to do it. Joshua didn't do it. All the way up into King Saul, judges didn't do it. It's only until years and years and years and years later that Saul, who doesn't deserve it, is able to be given the credit for this victory. And and, and as he does we realize that Saul is only out for his own good and he doesn't do as he's directed. So verse 15, or chapter 15, let's look at verses seven to nine. 
And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havel as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of Amalekites, and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and of the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised, that's key, all that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. But anything that benefited them, they kept. So, so Saul kept all of the, the resources, but killed all the people. And so in the middle of this, he was commanded and it wasn't done, but then things get worse. Because as Saul does this, he has this huge celebration. In the midst of this, you're going to see this in a second, but we introduce Samuel as well as the other key character. Samuel was the prophet picked by God to oversee Saul. He's the one that appointed Saul as king. And so Samuel was appointed Saul as king, but ultimately he is God's mouthpiece. And so we read this in verses 10 and 11. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. So Saul has done his thing. He's back. He's taken all the plunder back and he's back home. And God says to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king. That's underlined circle the word regret. That's a whole theological sermon right there that God would regret or repent. What does that look like and how does that work? Whole other series, whole other sermon. Um, But he says, I regret, it's a human emotion expressed by the narrator to put on God. I will regret that I have made Saul king for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commands. And Samuel was very angry and he cried to the Lord all night. So one, the, the narrator's saying, here, look at Saul. Saul has all these things and, let's, and, and he takes everything back. He doesn't follow the commands of God. Life is good for Saul. And then you see Samuel, who is told by God, hey, Saul didn't do what he's supposed to do. And Samuel does the right thing and he starts to repent and he starts to cry out to God all night. And, and we don't know whether he's, he's crying out to God because he's ticked off at Saul for being Saul again. <laughs> Gosh, this guy. Or whether he is really repenting and saying, God, spare Saul. We don't know. But Samuel ends up crying all night before him. So in the midst of this then, the story then continues that Samuel has to go and confront Saul who, who just didn't follow the commands of God. So Samuel must go and confront him and see what Saul's character is like. So here's what we know. The character, again, is the will enabled by God to do what's right as commanded by God repeatedly, even when it's hard. So Saul or, or Samuel is going to go see if Saul's character, his will to follow God, even when it's right, commanded by God, even when it's hard, is there. And the truth is going to be that it's pretty much non-existent. So the story goes that Samuel is on the way to confront Saul. And as he is on the way to confront Saul, he hears noise coming from the city. <laughs> He's on his way and it sounds like a blowout party is happening in the city. A victory celebration. So if we live here in, in, in Lawrence Township, so you know, uh, normally around June-ish, there's a noise that you can hear on 93, right? And that noise is horrific in my ears. But for most of you, it's great because you love country music. To me, it just is just, uh, you know, what it is. Um, but I'll be kind. But, but for many, like Country Fest is the thing, right? I mean, we love it. And there was huge uproar this year because it didn't happen and lawsuits and all this thing and DeWine and how could he shut it down? And, but that's the kind of thing, like you can just hear it for miles and miles and miles. You hear twang for miles. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for all of you. Uh, we live further out, so we don't have to listen to twang unless it's on our own decision. Uh, do it to ourselves, people. Um, but that's a huge party and celebration. You know, like, 
when that happens, it's a party of epic proportions. I remember last, two years ago, not, not this year, but last year, um, I was going into the Bell store. And uh, as I was going into the Bell store, like it was line to line people. And the thing that was out of stock was what? The beer, right? I mean, people were vehemently upset. I mean, there was line out the door and like, when's the truck get here? And they're like, uh, it's coming in a couple hours. They're like, we'll wait it out. Like, I mean, it was almost like people putting tents up outside the bell store because they're like, when's it arrived? Because we got to load up. And so, you know, and you've seen the destruction after Country Fest of what it looks like. I mean, it's a party. It's amazing party. And, and that's the kind of scenario that Samuel's walking towards. It's almost like he's walking down 93, and he's like, what's that awful music? Um, I'm kidding. But he says, what is that sound that I hear coming from the city? It's this party that's of epic proportions. And on top of that, it's almost as this nightclub type scene because Saul had a, a, a huge blowout party. And not just a blowout party, he also had a statue built in his honor for that party. So as Samuel's entering into this party, imagine going on 93, you look to the left, there's this huge statue. And you're like, that wasn't there a week ago, right? And all of a sudden, Samuel's like, there's a statue of Saul. I'm hearing the music. There's dancing girls. There's live bands. There's a party that was loud enough you could hear from probably miles off. And Samuel arrives to the party and sees a celebration going on. And he's going to ask Saul, hey, what's going on? God said to take out this nation. Did you do it? Did you finish the work? Did you do the right thing? Was your character shown? And Samuel's going to see obviously that he did not. And so as he's heading to this party, here's the rub. Saul was slick enough in character to know how to make this look like this wasn't about him, but about God. Saul had that moment as Samuel was coming, the oh, dang, the pastor's coming, right? Uh, we got to make sure that everything's up to par because the pastor's coming to the party. So we got to put away all the stuff and, and like, we're just having a godly party here, Samuel. It's great. That was kind of what they're trying to hide. Um, and here's what, here's what happens in verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the command of the Lord. I did it. I beat him. I took those people out. It was awesome. You should have been there. God was moved. Samuel, Samuel, turn down the music, guys. Samuel, the God, God was so anointing and over this, and it was beautiful. We prayed before we took the land. We had this huge communion table set out. It was amazing, Sam. You should have been there. God really moved and worked, and it was amazing. Samuel, you would have, you would have loved it. And, and we're here at this party. We're just praising God for all he did. Don't miss out, man. This is a party. This is God's party because of all he did. And the narrator is showing exactly what he wants to see. Saul has no integrity. Saul is trying to convince Samuel he did exactly what he was supposed to do, but he doesn't. And then you get this brilliant verse in verse 14. As he's explaining this, you get verse 14. This is awesome. And Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear? You were supposed to take those out, and they're louder than your voice right now. I love that scenario. He's just completely partying this whole thing and the exact same thing you're supposed to take out. This thing that exposes his character is loud in their ears. And he's like, yeah, Saul, you've turned down the music, but what's with the sheep? You were supposed to take those out. I thought you said you did all this stuff. You ever have that character moment? (laughs) 
where like you're, you're, you're feel like you've, you've, you've nailed it. You've, you've, you've pleaded your case. You've gotten away with it and, and everything's good. And everybody thinks you're the best and, and you've, you've done the right thing out in public. And then all of a sudden something hits and your character's exposed and you're, you're found out. Isn't that the worst feeling in the world where <laughs> like you've been seen as a fraud and every decision you've made up to this point has just been exposed, and you're bare, and you're just like, oh, yeah, about that. I've been meaning to talk to you about that. Um, I've been meaning to explain that. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, um, uh, and you can't think of the lies fast enough <laughs> to make the excuses that you need because your character has been fully blown and on display. That's Saul. And Saul, in verse 15, says this, they have brought them from the Malachites for the people. Thanks, King. These guys made me do it. The people spared the best of the sheep, which just side note here, just that spared in Hebrew is actually singular, not plural. So the narrator is kind of like saying, hey, by the way, this isn't really they spared, it's Saul spared, and I'm going to put it in the actual language. <laughs> so that's kind of fun. They spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we devoted for destruction. It was, I did most of it, but the people said I shouldn't, and so I didn't, and there we go. Character is not on display. And here's what I also know. This is a great quote again. Um, from Stanley, he says, character is not built in times of crisis. It is merely exposed. Your character in times of crisis is not being built. It's merely being exposed for what it is. So when you have that moment and your character and you're nailing it and you've done the right thing and people honor you for it, your, your character is exposed. You've done the hard work to get there. When you've been in that scenario and you're caught in the middle of it, your character is being exposed. Character is not built in times of crisis. It is exposed. And that's what's happening here. Samuel does then what we need to do for, for one another when our character is exposed and out of whack. And here's what Samuel says in verse 16. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. <laughs> You ever say that to your kids? Like, they just keep, like, lie after lie after lie after lie after lie, and it's gotten to, like, the nth degree, and you're kind of like, just stop, baby, just stop. <laughs> it, it, it's not making it any better. Like, you're just getting caught in your own lies. You're tripping up on your own words. Like, just stop. Just stop. Stop. They're, no, 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 but I can, t- but, 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 but I can, stop, stop. It's almost Samuel Saul. Just stop, stop, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, and Saul said to Samuel, speak. But this isn't like speak, let me hear. This is speak, let me try and work my way out of this one too. Samuel, or Saul doesn't ever get it. He continues to try and fix his own mistakes. And Saul, Saul again arrogantly thinks he can trick Samuel. And if you read verses 17 um, to 19, it goes on to say this. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribe of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the sinners of the Malachites and fight against them till they're consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what's evil in the sight? And then verse 20, and Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalekite, Wait a second, I was supposed to kill him. I brought him back, and I have devoted the Amalekites to the destruction. But the people, again, took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of things, devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord God of Israel. And 
That's what we get our verse we began with in the beginning. The Lord has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as is in obeying the voice of the Lord. This morning, character, when it's exposed, is basically exposed by saying we didn't obey what we were called to obey. And the pattern that you see in Saul is the pattern that we see in our own lives. And it is the pattern of this. It's when we're exposed and when our character's on full display, here's where we go. We go, number one, it's not a big deal. Everybody does it. I don't understand why you're giving me a hard time. It's not a big deal. And then we go from it's not a big deal to it's not my fault. The people made me do it. My brother made me do it. My sister, if she wouldn't have been who she is, (laughs) made me do it. It's just the scenario of work. Everybody at work does it. My boss does it for crying out loud. So of course I'm going to do it. It's not my fault. And God's cool with it. It's grace, man. It's just, God understands that this is what I need to do. And this is God. He's okay. And that's the thing Saul felt through, and he started to kind of work his way towards. And and God wants us a different story. God wants to build our obedience for the sake of our character, not for the sake of obedience alone. Character is the will enabled by God to do what's right as commanded by God repeatedly, even when it's hard. And that's what he's trying to get us to build. When you say, I'm going to do the next right thing, that next right thing is built on character and it's built on repeatedly doing the same right thing over and over and over again. Said it at the beginning, we'll say it again as we start to close here. Obedience is built through character. And a chicken and the egg thing, you can't have one without the other. So much so that even in this passage in Hebrews or in 1 Samuel 15, the Hebrew words that are listed in this chapter, this word listen, hear, obey, the word sama is, is repeated eight times alone in this chapter. Listen, hear, listen, obey, obey, listen, obey. There's a great theme about obedience here, and obedience builds your character, not just thinking about it, but doing the right thing. So how does this work practically? We're going to build more on that next week, but let me just close with a, with a quick example of what I mean by character through obedience, and then we're going to close out. Um, I've had some conversations in the last week, um, some really good conversations, and it was a lot about this idea of these sins that just kind of keep holding us hostage, these, these sins that, that just keep coming back up, the ones that it's really hard to have obedience with. And we all have these sins. They're actually mentioned in 1 Corinthians 10, 10, 13 as sins that are common to all of us. These sins, they test us. These sins are, are not public sins. They're the, one, they're the private ones. These are those sins that just probably our kids and our spouses see in us. Because let's be real this morning. Uh, it's rare that um, one of you lets your crazy be seen at church. <laughs> uh, all the crazies save for home. Uh, so you can tweet this one. We save our crazy for those we love. That's this is a great tweet, right? Just, just put that out there. I save my crazy for my loved ones. Because you do. We save our crazy for those who are home with us. We save our nuts for the people that are like, ah, he's crazy. And, like, and you go to church, you're like, oh no, they're great. They're awesome. And then you leave here and you're like, they think you're great. You're not great, okay? Um, just putting that out of the reality wise. But these things that we're not great at, these things that are, seem like we're nuts and crazy, we, things we save for our love, these things test our character. And they're always pop quizzes. They're never exams, right? They're always kind of on the fly. And rarely 
Are we given advance warning? They surprise us. But every single temptation, this is where the conversation went this week, every single temptation, every single sin that we have is an opportunity to grow in obedience. Every single, oppor- every single sin that you have is an opportunity to grow in obedience. And, and most of us wonder why God hasn't taken away that sin. Why God hasn't fixed the crazy in the person next to us or a spouse or our kids. God, fix the crazy, please. Um, the reason maybe he hasn't done that is because he wants to build character and character comes through obedience. And that was the conversation that I had this week and, and, and prior to the last couple weeks is, is maybe God hasn't taken that sin out of your life because he's developing something more worthwhile in you. Because he's wanting you to get victory and obedience and obedience and obedience and obedience so that as it goes through the long term of our lives, it builds a character. Those sins like trials are, I believe, producing in us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, Corinthians tells us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16 to 17 says this, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Every temptation is an opportunity to build your character and one act of obedience, it happens through one act of obedience at a time? Are you going to always nail it every single time that sin comes into your life? Let me just ask this. Have you? (laughs) I'm going on how many, I don't know how many years of being a believer. And there are still many, many times where I'm like, I see it coming. It's an easy softball, knock it out of the park, get rid of it. And every single time I'm like, I'm like the Indians guy who was yesterday. They just kind of went like this, almost broke his ankle, whiffing on the ball, right? I'm that guy. I'm just completely miss it. I completely get duped by it because again and again and again, God's saying, I, I have this though. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to build a new character through obedience. And obedience comes through, through denying those sins in our own life. And so next week, we're gonna look at how do we actually do that and how do we build character in the long run. But for this morning, can we just acknowledge we're all there? We all have them, but here's the beauty in it. I'm not gonna leave you this morning by that pastor who's like, you're all a bunch of jerks. Let's pray. God, we just, you know, that's not where we're going to leave you this morning. This morning, I want you to believe that God has something better for you in the midst of obedience and building character. And so we end with these three things. Number one, every time you build on obedience, you will find greater freedom from sin. I guarantee you, every time you obey, even though it's the 80th time that day, right? Your mouth has gotten you in trouble for the 16th time in an hour. And you're just like, ah, somebody cut my tongue out because I just cannot be nice to this person because they deserve it. Okay, I get it. I get it. But every single act of obedience is building greater freedom from that sin. Number two, every time you build on obedience, when no one is looking, you are going to find greater joy. You just will. There'll be greater freedom in it. You won't worry about it as much. You, you'll, you'll, you'll leave the conversation and instead of beating yourself up 50 times about what you did, you'll be able to walk away and say, God, I offended you again, but you know me and I'm sorry for that. I need to build more obedience in my life. Help me to do that. Help me experience that. And as you do, he will build in you greater joy Last time, last one, every time you say yes to obedience, you are building a stronger, here's a key word, tougher character. Guaranteed. 
Every time you say yes, even though it doesn't feel like it, even though you're kind of like, I don't know, I'm never going to get a handle on this sin. It's just always dogging me every single day of my life. It's been there for 15 years, and I can't get rid of the stinking sin. It's the same one over and over again. It's nothing new. God is building character in you, and he's doing it every time there is obedience. So again, Next week, we're going to build a little bit more on this. But for this morning, can I just ask this one question as we leave? What is your greatest temptation? Or to put it another way, what is your greatest enemy of character? What is it that you have the hardest time obeying? So take a second, think about that this week. What is that hardest thing that you have a hard time in obedience with God? What is that one area that you probably have 50 like me? I have 20. But what's that one area you're just like, I just, I can never say obey. And then here's, here's the other question with that. That's not the end of that question. What is it? And the follow-up to that question is this. Who knows about it? Just me and God, we're, we're cool. We've, we've talked about it numerous times. Does somebody else know about it? Because the Bible's clear that we are to confess our sins, yes, to God, but it's also very clear we are to confess our sins one to another. So you should have somebody in your life who can coach you through that thing. Who knows about it? And last question is, what's my next right thing? What, what, what's my next right thing this week? Maybe that right thing is saying no to it. Maybe that next right thing is asking people around you to be a wisdom team around that issue. Maybe that next right thing is searching scripture for clarity. I don't know. But this morning, my hope and my prayer is that God, you see that God is building a character through this, your acts of obedience, and not just obedience for obedience sake. Saul, he says, hey, Saul, this isn't just because you're not obedient. This is because this has become a problem and an issue. This is a character issue for you. I want character. I want your being over your doing. That's what I want. Let me pray for us as we close that that God would enable that in us this week and then we'll we'll be out of here this morning. God, we thank you so much. Um, God, this is so relevant to myself, to all of us probably in some degree. We have issues in our life that we just cannot seem to get obedience in. We, 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 we just keep disobeying you. And, we, and it's probably a consistent thing over and over again. But God, here's my prayer. That we would see these as opportunities to build character and not as defeating us and not as shaming us and not as these things that are just gonna keep us from. Ultimately, God, it's your grace, yes. But we are called to live in obedience in that grace because every time we're obedient, we are building character. I pray that we be men and women, students in this room would be people of character, that people would want to be around us because they see that in us. Continue to build that in us. We're going to learn next week from your word, how do we do that practically? But for this morning, would you just expose that thing? that we need to grow more in obedience in? And would we just get the, the right people around us as we go through there? God, it's in your, your name that we pray. It's in your name that we get these victories. And we thank you for it this morning. We love you. Amen.